The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 879 for Monday, July 5th, 2021. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. We take your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We share them. Uh, we answer your questions. We share some cool stuff found and tips of our own. The goal is that each and every one of us, you, me, John, every one of us, we all learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include LinkedIn Jobs at linkedin.com slash MGG, where you can post your first job for free. Linode.com slash MGG, where you get 100 bucks in free credit uh, just for starting an account there. And then TextExpander.com slash podcast, where you get 20% off your first year's subscription. All tools that we use here, and we will tell you about how we use them a little bit later here in the episode. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are things today, Mr. John F. Braun? <clears throat> a lot cooler than it was earlier in the week. It's true. Yeah, things have cooled off. I, I think kind of like nationwide or or beyond. But yeah, things were things were a little nuts. I I would have said that we were having a heat wave here, and I, I guess technically we were, except compared to like the people in like Portland, Oregon, and. And even up oh, in yeah. Alberta, Canada, like they were all like in the 110, 120, even 130 degree Fahrenheit. That's hot. So, yeah. Yeah. Record high temperature. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a trend or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it doesn't remain a trend for this summer. That was that was I mean, although it was kind of nice. I mean, it, you know, again, here it only hit 100. So and I say only. So it was nice. We have one of those um, during COVID. We we bought one of those inflatable pools to put in our yard because we figured what the heck are we going to do all summer, not being able to go anywhere last year. So obviously we set that up again and um, it was really nice. Like that stupid thing was, I think it was almost 90 degrees for a couple of days, which was, you know, it was something to do. And, and that was at like 6 PM when the sun had gone down. So I'd like finish work and Lisa and I'd go like bask in the pool or play beer pong or something. So it was fun, you know, something to do empty nesting like bosses. Uh, all right. Are we ready to get to this, John? Shall we? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Patrick sends us two quick tips. Uh, he says, these days I'm helping with the production of a lot of hybrid church meetings, connecting the people in person with the people online. I often have to share my screen. So two things can't be shown notifications and my messy computer desktop. So the normal way to turn on, do not disturb is through the control center. He says a quicker way for me is to toggle do not disturb by holding down the option key and clicking on the date and time that will toggle on and off. Do not disturb. That is correct. It, that toggles it on and off permanently, though. So be like you. I, I say this to myself. I often forget that I have turned off do not or turned on do not disturb on this particular machine and then, you know, I'll be here doing something that's not podcasting. It's like, how come I'm not getting notifications? Like, hmm, that's why. It used to be pre-Catalina, right? That's what we're on now. Man, John, I am like, Big Sur, sorry. Pre-Big Sur, uh, 
it would, if you did that option, click on the date and time, it would just do not disturb you for 24 hours and then you'd get it. Or it wasn't the date and time. It was the little, you know, notification center thing. But, um, but with Big Sur, it, uh, it, it, it's permanent. So I often will use the control center and be like, do it till tomorrow or do it till tonight or whatever. But that's my thing. But you're right. Absolutely right. A faster way, Patrick, if you have to do it in a pinch is option click. Just be, be aware. Uh, his second quick tip. As far as a messy computer desktop is concerned, enabling stacks on the desktop can really clean things up. But the best way to hide is to hide all the icons entirely. There are plenty of apps to do this. He said, I use an app called Hidden Me. Oh, we'll put that in the show. That That's like a cool stuff found. Look at that. A little bonus. I like it. Uh, he says there's a free version and the pro version supports multiple monitor setups. So, oh, very cool. Yeah, I um. You're right. There's lots of apps to do that. The way I've started doing it is I just, I swipe right. I guess that's swipe left. I don't know. I swipe to a different desktop. I'm not into the whole swipe right and swipe left thing. Thankfully, I, I've, I've been able to avoid that. Um, but anyway, I, I do the, the multi-finger swipe on my trackpad, and that brings me to a new space, which has clean desktop for me for whatever reason. And that's good. So... That's how that's how I've been doing it for presentations is um, is that. But you're right. Yeah, probably probably safer to use something that's actually going to hide all your icons, because now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know why my extra desktop would have no icons in the on the finder unless it's set that way. I don't know. Shouldn't it just show me everything? I don't know. I think this seems weird now. This seems suspect. My 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 anecdotal reliable scenario doesn't add up. So now I got to figure out why. Mm. I don't know. I just try to avoid putting stuff on the desktop unless. Oh, I use the desktop as a catch all for a lot of things, man. It's... Yeah, I've seen uh, you, you and I have both seen that. Some people like put everything on the desktop. I don't put everything yeah, there, mess. <laughs> but it's like it's the catch all for because it syncs right with iCloud. Mm-hmm. It's great. Like I create our episode images. Right. Like the ones that you see in the like either on the YouTube channel or, or um, for the episode. Sadie does the ones for um, for like all the the other little snippets. But I do the ones for the episodes you see in your podcatcher and stuff. And uh, and I save those to the desktop. But I also have a hazel rule that clears those out after two weeks and archives them. So uh, so they're not like mm. there, but it like it's just handy. Our our file, the BB edit file that I store our our show notes and chapters and stuff in that lives on my desktop. So it's, again, it's just synced and it's always right, right up front. So, I mean, I'm sure I could, I know I could do that with a different folder, but desktop works. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a catch all is wrong. It's a catch specific thing. So then I have a folder called kill me on my desktop. That <laughs> might've been what, no, it might've been one of the best things I ever did because I can put things in there knowing that they are temporary. Like I only need it while I'm focused on it. And then anything else in kill me, I know can just be blown away. Like I, 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 I know that by putting it in there, it is not something I plan to save. And so I don't have to rethink it. I don't have to like calm through things. If I want to blow away everything and kill me, I can blow away everything and kill me. Like I've already pre-made the decision for myself. It's, it's amazing. Real efficiency booster. I don't know. Uh-huh. Yep. You're going to get your five things before we get through Patrick. Although I think uh-huh. we're, we're through with Patrick, John, right? Is it time to go to Steve? 
Mm-hmm. It's time. Okay. Uh, where is Steve? I, I swear I prepped this. Maybe I didn't, maybe, uh, I can, I can, uh, I can share Steve's tip regardless. So Steve shared with us, uh, a great tip that he found elsewhere on the web. He said, um, you know how there's that, that back tap thing that we can configure now on our phones to do a thing. And we've talked about, I, you had it set for screenshot for a little while, and I don't know, I just never thought to use it. Plus, plus there's a, already a shortcut for doing a screenshot. Well, Steve says, use it to activate the flashlight on your phone. I can see that being really handy. The only thing is if you're getting false triggers of that back tap, your flashlight might just come on randomly and, and potentially stay on. So that might be a bad thing. But um, but I that might be one of the better uses of back tap so that you can just grab your phone, tap it, and now you've got a flashlight. You don't have to wake up the screen and hit the button. And, the, you know, not again, not that it's hard, but, you know, quick tips, shortcuts. That's what we do. Thank you, Steve. I did find his question. I just never moved it over. <sighs> All right. You want to, uh, that's the end of my quick tips. Do you have any, anything you want to take us to Ben? Uh, let's go to Ben. Great. <clears throat> ben says, hi guys, a client with a propensity for dropping her iPhone, especially while running, will certainly get a solid case and screen protector for her new iPhone 12 mini. However, she wonders if there's any value in adding a lens protector. I hadn't heard of these before and wonder what insight you have to offer. Also, can you remind me which brand of screen protector you refer? Um, so what I got to say about this, Dave, uh, so I have an iPhone 12 mini. blue. Right. Um, so I'll throw my hat in the ring and say that I really, so uh, the case that I like, and it has saved me, um, is the Spec Presidio Perfect Clear. Um I like that it's clear, um, and I noticed that a lot of people would be like, oh, wow, is that the, the new iPhone 12? Because they could see it and, you know, see the color of it and thought it was nice. <laughs> um, I've never had people ask me about my phone until the uh, iPhone 12 with the clear case. So, that um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so the the good thing about this is that this case specifically advertises 13 foot drop protection. So um, that's another reason you may want to get this case. Uh, as for lens protection, I mean, the case does, you know, give you a little bit more distance between the lens and whatever you're dropping it on. Um, well, I think any case would really do that for you. Sure. But um uh, th- to be honest, I've never had a need to protect the lens. Um, and the, the current one, what they say is it's a sapphire crystal lens cover, I think, is what is on the current phone. Okay. So that should protect you. But I've, I've never seen a scratch, personally. Um, the thing is, if something terrible does happen, unfortunately, I was not able to find how much it costs if you do damage the lens but i did find an article over at imore that um uh stated the iphone rear glass can now be repaired without replacing the phone right that that was not the case with previous mm-hmm. iterations of the iphone but with the 12s yeah the the rear glass my guess is if you had to replace the lens on the back it would be the rear glass mm-hmm. but but that's a way cheaper way less expensive uh, scenario than um, than in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, 
As far as lens protection, I mean, I've certainly heard about this. Uh, I've never used any lens protection. I always felt like whatever I put on there would be far more likely to get scratched than the lens itself. And then suddenly I'd be taking pictures through a scratched lens because, like you said, Apple uses sapphire glass on those camera lenses for exactly this reason. I I don't drop my phone. I always keep a case on my phone. I always keep a screen protector on my phone. Uh, I don't drop my phones all that often. It happens, certainly. But it it's not something that uh, I make a habit of for whatever reason. I just, you know, I'm not clumsy in that way. I'm clumsy in plenty of other ways, just not that way. But um, my family members all have uh, proven that they are experts at dropping their phones in one way or another. And we have never, we have seen front glass cracked. We've seen, you know, scratches and or dents being put in the side of the phone, depending on the model. But we've never seen an issue with the camera glass, like with the, the lens glass uh, from any of us. Doesn't mean, you know, we're an anecdotal set of four people over probably, I don't know, 20 iPhones or something ridiculous. But like, we've never seen an issue with that. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. But I, I I I don't spend any time worrying about it, but tempered glass on the screen as a screen protector. Absolutely. And as far as brand, my advice, do not buy name brand tempered glass. You will be spending extra money on name brand tempered glass for the name brand. Uh, I always buy the, you know, Amazon special $8 worth of three pack for tempered glass. And that way I don't feel like if, if somebody gets a, even a slight clack, I, I don't understand this actually. My, like I said, um, my family definitely drops their phones more often than me. Like my kids and, and even Lisa at times, I'll look at their phones and they're like their screen protector on their phone has just like, you know, spider cracks in it. And I'm like, don't you want to change that? They're like, no, it happens all the time. I'm like, no, it doesn't like, look at my phone. It doesn't happen. But, um, but the nice part about buying the, you know, three for $8 pack or whatever it is uh, on Amazon for that is that you can, you know, replace it easy without thinking about it. It's like it costs a few dollars. So if you're, if you're, even if you're doing it three or four times a year, it's like, okay, well, you know, that's 10 bucks. It's great. And you keep your phone protected. And I have had the tempered glass protect me. I dropped my phone once on my friend's asphalt driveway and it landed perfectly flat on the mm. face. And I was like, oh, crap. Um, I was just getting out of my car. It was for a band practice at his house. I had too much stuff or whatever. I was just being stupid. And, uh, and so I'm like, okay, here we go. And I pick up my phone and it's shattered. I mean, just shattered. I'm like, okay. I finally did it. Like, fine. You know, whatever. It, it happens. I knew it was going to happen at some point. And uh, I went around to the trunk of my car where I was going to get more of my stuff, like my drums or my stool out or whatever. And, uh, I peeled the screen protector off and the glass underneath was pristine. And it was like, oh, thank goodness. So it does save me, you know, it saved me and it will save you. And that was one of the cheap ones. So don't mm. probably, I should say, probably people do send us, you know, the, 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 the brand name screen protector glass to review at times. So at times I will have those on my phone, but I, I, I'm pretty sure this one was just one of the cheap ones. They, they were all basically the same as near as I can tell. So, mm -hmm. Um, and we got a few uh, comments in our chat room here at nice. live.mackygab.com. That is correct. I think that's where it is. Yeah. Um, so Kansas Dave says Apple sells Belkin. Uh, yep. So that's 
an endorsement of sort for screen protectors. Um, but Jeff brings up a good point. Um, from a photography point of view, um, I would not put, he would not put anything over the lens because it could reduce the quality. Um, and he says he doesn't uh, even use UV filters on my DSLR. And that actually reminds me, man, in the, in the past when I was into more serious uh, photography, you can actually get um, filters for things like UV and I got another one. A polarizing filter is uh, another night. I, I should see what what's out there to let you play with your uh, iPhone camera lens. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Um, before we go on to the next thing, John, I'm going to ask you, did you turn on your um, dynamic compression in audio hijack today? Because I am finding that I need to add a lot of level to you, which tells me that you're probably pretty low on the YouTube channel. Uh, is it all set the way it normally is? It could be something on my end. Uh, I mean, do I want to move this thing to the right? No, no. Is it on? Is it enabled like it normally is for you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. All right. Then, then I'm sure it's fine. I, I'm like, I don't know. Something probably changed here on my end. I'm just, I'm not getting as much from you, but... As long as it's working and I've asked the people at live.macgeekup.com to confirm that you sound loud enough in the YouTube. Because I'd hate for our YouTube clips to be, uh, you know, imperfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, Jerry, that was a good one. Jerry writes and asks, he says, uh, uh, let's see, is there any way to block my work router from seeing what I am browsing? They block sites like Apple. Uh, so it's nothing bad, but I want to browse. Is there any way of changing a setting on my Mac to do that? Or do I have to use a VPN? So I, I think you could try changing the DNS servers of your Mac to use something not being the ones that are provided by your router. So you'd go into your Mac, you'd go into system preferences, network, whatever uh, interface you're using, either Ethernet or Wi-Fi, go into advanced or just go into DNS Ethernet doesn't really have the advanced button the same way Wi-Fi does, but get yourself into that advanced mode, click the DNS tab and change your DNS servers to something like 8.8.8.8, which is Google's or 1.1.1.1, which is Cloudflare's. I think I have that right. And, uh, and see if that helps you. If it does, then that's how they're blocking it and they're doing it by DNS. And, and now you've gotten around it, whether or not that's copacetic with your employer, I'll leave between you and them. Um, but I think that was going to be my comment is trying to circumvent workplace. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're not here to comment. I mean, we can comment on it. We're not here to provide judgment on uh, on you or your employer's policies. But but you should check with them because you don't want to lose your job over this. Yeah, no, mm -hmm. that's a fair point, John. Um, but uh, I think you're going to need a VPN to do this. And so, uh, you know, if you were going to if, if you're going to go with a VPN, and it's funny in pre-show we were talking about this. Um, I, you know, a paid VPN is going to be better for a variety of reasons. A, you're probably probably going to get a higher quality of service. You're uh, almost certainly going to be able to find a paid VPN that does not track your usage and sell your usage uh, to make money because everybody needs to at least cover their costs, if not make some money. And so, if you're not paying them, then you are the product, right? Uh, just good to remember. So, uh, so the, um, 
the, the VPNs that we pay for, you know, ExpressVPN is not a sponsor anymore. They were, but I found out this week because I signed up for them uh, again, is that expressvpn.com slash MGG does still get you extra three months uh, when you buy a year, which I just did this week. So, so that's one way to go. NordVPN is another great one um, as far as paid VPNs go. If you don't want to pay for a VPN, there are a few free VPNs that I have messed with um, and used quite a bit over the years that do work. And and really, I've narrowed it down to two that I will use. Um, Proton VPN is probably going to be the best of these, although it might not get you what you want because they have some limits on how their free VPN works. But they are very much a freemium offering in that they offer a free tier with limits and then an option to pay to remove those limits. So you're, you're working with a reputable VPN vendor, right? That's probably not. In fact, I'm almost certain that Proton's not selling you data. So that's one is Proton VPN. And then the truly free VPN where you should um, expect to have your data sold uh, or at least tracked or something along those lines uh, is list VPN at least VPN.net. The, but part of the way they make money is ads on their website. And part of the way they get you to go to their website is that you the free account you create is only good for five days. So you have to go every five days and create a new account. Now it's really not that big of a deal. It takes all about 30 seconds to, you know, go through and, and create the account, but then you are visiting their website. You are, you know, letting them show you their ads. And, and so they are making money that way. I don't know if they're making money other ways. So just bear that in mind. But, um, but those are the two free VPNs that, not only would I recommend, again, with eyes wide open, but also that I have personally used quite a bit and, and they work. But I will tell you that moving from either of those up to ExpressVPN, uh, speeds on ExpressVPN are like 10 times what I was getting with the free VPN. So if speeds, like if it's just for browsing or whatever, fine. If it's for you know any sort of downloading or file transfers in either direction, uh, you, you, you know, probably worth paying. What did I pay for ExpressVPN? Like a hundred bucks for the year, a hundred bucks for 15 months. Cause I used the old, um, I don't know why they haven't expired it, but expressvpn.com slash MGG works. So, Hey, it's good. Uh, what do you use? Mr. So the Brian? two on my phone. Yep. Um, so one is tunnel bear. <clears throat> Would tunnel bear um, work on his computer? Is that, I, I forget. Are they phone only? I always think of them as phone only. No, they have Mac apps. Okay, never mind. Yeah, so Tunnel Bear's a good one, and their uh, developer notes um, are funny. And they, they always, uh, their free tier is like you get like five hundred megs a month or something like that. Is that right? Something like that. I've never exceeded it. Okay. So, uh, so I like Tunnel Bear, and the other one that I like is Speedify. Um. Because what Speedify does um, that is kind of a nice reminder is that when I get on Wi-Fi that's not secure, it'll come up and say, whoa, your uh, your network connection is not secure. Maybe you should turn me on. Uh, like, okay. Um, and so that's another one. And then they and don't. Then the they, last, but that's not Speedify is not free. Uh, they um, no. Yeah, I think they me a bone they threw so. they, they are free for you right but yeah. they are not free right yeah okay um but that's another one i could recommend um and lastly i use um open vpn um to my uh synology sure 
Right. That's a, actually, that's a really good point. If you, if, if especially for Jerry, if you have a, a Synology at home, uh, even your Mac at home can be a VPN server. Uh, heck, our sponsor, well, you'd have to pay for uh, uh, the lowest tier, five bucks a month for um, a uh, 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 Linode instance, but you could install an open VPN server there too, or even any kind of VPN server, mm-hmm. really. So you could do it that way too. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, man. Yep. But if you've got a Synology or any kind of machine that's on all the time, you could set up a VPN server on that. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. That's good. All right. Good. So lots of options. Hopefully that helps. If you have an option, send it to us. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, let's do, let's see. We've got, we've got a lot of questions. We've got a bunch of cool stuff found. We have our sponsors to talk about. Let's, let's talk, let's do Larry. Then let's talk about our sponsors and then we'll keep on rolling. How's that sound? All right. So, uh, Larry says, I'm sure this has already been asked, but is there a way like a hub to add USB C ports to my computer? In other words, all my ports are taken up. So can I turn one port into multiple ports like back in the USB two and three days? And if so, I imagine it needs power. I just got a rugged Lissy drive, thanks to Prime Day, and it is Andy Portis. <laughs> I think that's a take on ambidextrous. I don't know if Andy, uh, that's a r- real word. Um, no, no. He means that it has a USB 3 port, yeah. or USB A port, and a USB C port is what mm-hmm. he means by that. Yeah. Um, and of course the USB-C should be uh, faster. So he wants to take advantage of that. Um, so first he said he want, he wants his USB-C and <laughs> my reply is I want my MTV. That's right. And, uh, yeah. That was his intent. Uh, I want my USB-C too. If anybody even rumors MTV, are they still out there? I don't even know. Yeah, but they don't they don't show music videos anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing. Um all right. So, so I think the proper wording, but then I'll take it back, um is it, it, what you're looking for is a dock, not necessarily a hub. Um but fortunately there are docks that can give you more USB C ports. Um if you're in Big Sur, then the one that you probably want to look at is um the OWC Thunderbolt dock. As long as those USB-C ports are Thunderbolt ports, did he, he didn't say what kind of computer he has. He probably has a computer that's Thunderbolt ready, mm-hmm. but if it's not Thunderbolt ready, then don't buy a Thunderbolt dock. But otherwise, yeah, I agree with you. You're absolutely right. Yep. Um, the bad news is that, um, and so that product is 279 and that gives you three additional ports. Um, but they're sold out, so you got to pre-order it, which is a bummer, right? Yep, <laughs> yep, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I looked a bit more, uh, but they also have some Thunderbolt three docks, and you and I both have uh, one of theirs, Dave. So that gives you uh, that'll let you extend your ports as well. And they have some. Now the thing is, is that I don't recall this. I mean, you probably mentioned it in an ad read but i missed it um but they also have what they call the owc thunderbolt hub that's right 
Yeah, so uh, the Thunder the Thunderbolt hub from US from OWC is it's what we had Larry on essentially talking about, right? When mm-hmm. when he was talking about how you can actually add Thunderbolt ports. So this this may this definitely goes beyond what Larry stated he was asking for. Whether this is actually what Larry's asking for or not is 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 hard to say, right? Because it, it, this stuff gets a little bit confusing to talk about if you don't use exactly the right terms. Mm. Um, but what you know, what Larry was on the show talking about was how Big Sur enables this feature of Thunderbolt that allows hubbing, meaning taking one Thunderbolt port and expanding it to multiple Thunderbolt ports, something that wasn't possible before. And so the OWC Thunderbolt hub does that and only that, right? It it takes one port and expands it to three, I believe. Uh, the Thunderbolt dock that you mentioned is essentially that hub built inside of a dock that has extra ports, including some USB-A ports and things like that, if, I'm, if memory serves. Uh, so, so they are... In this sense, they sort of do the same thing. One just does a little bit more of the same thing because it's got like audio in and out. It's got some USB-A ports. It's got, I think, HDMI on that. I'm trying to look in their things. It's got three USB-A ports on it, Ethernet, uh, no HDMI, sorry, and uh, and an SD card slot. So uh, so that's the, the dock versus their hub. If all you want – so – so that that is a way to get here, but you need a computer that supports Thunderbolt and it has to be running Big Sur or some flavor of Windows that supports this, too. Uh, if you just want more USB-C ports and you are on a USB non Thunderbolt computer, this actually gets pretty tricky. There's no as far as I understand, there's no technical reason that you couldn't have a uh dock with more USB-C ports, except that as the person creating that dock, as the vendor of that dock, you, you're you in a weird scenario because you don't know how your customers are going to want to use it, right? Remember, USB-C ports are generally expected to be providing power delivery. Well, okay, how many USB-C ports are we going to add and how much power do we need to provide to this thing so that our users can use it the way they are individually expecting it to work. And then the same issue comes with data speed, right? You know, if you're using USB-C, um, you could go up to USB 3.2, which I think is 20 gigs a second. Might only be 10. God, see, it gets confusing. Whatever the limit is, that's only good for one port, right? And so if you give a user a, a device with eight USB-C ports, well, they, they ain't all eight going to have full speed capable all the time. So the power and speed reasons are why we don't see docks with lots of USB-C ports. Like the, the, there are some that have more than others, obviously, but really the way to do it is through Thunderbolt hubbing. But again, you need a computer with Thunderbolt and supporting hubbing. So it gets tricky. We'll put a link in the show notes to watch Larry explain it because I probably just made it worse. I don't know. It, it's <laughs> it's a like Larry's right. Uh, Larry, <laughs> of course, Larry, different two different Larrys. We had a Larry that asked the question. Mm-hmm. Then we had a Larry a couple months ago that explained all this to us. Um, but uh, yeah, it like getting more USB C ports. I, you the the way you suggested, John, is the right way. If your computer is Thunderbolt capable, running Big Sur, 
add them as Thunderbolt ports and then go from there. Cause you could add another dock hanging off of one of those ports that then has whatever ports you need on it for your devices. So you have to just be thoughtful about, and even once you have one of those things, thoughtful about what you're plugging in where, because you have to know that the data, you know, there is going to be a weak link in the chain or a, a bottleneck in the chain. I should say not a weak link, but a bottleneck in the chain in terms of data speed uh, and power. So yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the, the other thing now that I'm looking at the product line here is that, so, so I looked at those drive di- drives, Dave, um, the Lucy rugged drives. Yep. And their advertised throughput is only, is like in the low hundreds of megabytes per second. Okay. Um, you could even get away with the USB three port because USB three regular, you know, Gen one or no. Uh, yeah. Uh, the naming gets crazy, but uh, you start at five gigabits per second, which is about 500 megabytes sure. per second, I think. Yeah. So that's, uh, you, you could even get by with that is that the, the drive, the, if I identify the drive properly, then even USB 3.0, uh, you could get by with that. So it depends um, on which, um, which drive he's talking about because there are lots of rugged drives from Lassie. Some of them are much slower than others, but they've got an NVMe rugged drive that'll go 2,700 oh. megabytes a second. Right. So it depends like which rugged mm-hmm. he's using. Uh, but you're right. Some okay. of them will only use what we'll call five gig, uh, five gigabit USB C or USB. Because five gigabit works over USB three works over USB A or USB C. Remember, mm-hmm. letters describe the shape of the connector. Numbers describe the speed. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's gets it crazy. It, it's really confusing to like even for us, it's super confusing <laughs> to keep mm-hmm. it all straight. So yeah, yeah. You like I think your point's valid though, John. You you got to look at specifically which devices you're going to be connecting. And like you said, if you've got a drive that's going to max out, no matter where it's plugged in, you know, the drive itself is going to max that max out at, you know, 300 megabytes a second or something. Okay. Well now know that and, and put it somewhere where you're not dedicating a faster port to it. That Mm -hmm. could be used for something else. So, yep. 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 All right. Uh, More questions coming. Cool stuff found coming. I promise. Uh, if we're ready, John, the next thing I would like to do is talk about our sponsors. Okay. All right. Look, we're a small business here, right? And we are occasionally looking to grow our staff. You know, we get more productive. We have more things to do. And we recently, as you know, we hired Sadie, who is managing our social media and she is helping us, you know, grow the show. Well, we used LinkedIn Jobs to find Sadie, and now LinkedIn Jobs is our sponsor. I have to tell you how easy LinkedIn Jobs made this. Initially, I was just sort of trying to send feelers out, and I got a couple, you know, as you know, a couple of things in, and then I used LinkedIn Jobs. I think I spent a total of $124 on LinkedIn Jobs. I got 72 responses. More than half of those were like very qualified. They, like they were all qualified, but more than half of those were like the right people. And then we interviewed them and, uh, and then obviously narrowed it down. And, and, and here we are. It, LinkedIn jobs made this super easy and super affordable 
and worked. And you can get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Yeah, you can have them fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. And then it's easy, like I said, to filter and prioritize the top candidates that you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? And like I said, you can post your first job for free by going to linkedin.com slash MGG. That's linkedin.com slash MGG to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply and our thanks to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Text Expander. You know that I like to do things quickly. I like to do things efficiently. And I really am a perfectionist and I like to get things right every time. Well, Text Expander makes it easy for me and the whole team here to use the right words for every situation, whether we need to like send something internally or delight our customers with effective, correct, grammatically correct, accurate answers. I can rest easy because Text Expander has it covered and you can do the same thing. And now with improved web app security to keep your content protected. Very cool stuff. So, the you know, one of the things we do is somebody will write in and say, hey, I want to know uh, general information about, you know, say sponsoring this podcast, right? We have a text expander snippet that gives them that answer. In fact, we have several snippets that we can link together in one email. So it's like, okay, yep, they, they're this type of company. They want to know this and this and this and boom, 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 boom. Literally as quickly as I just described it there, we've now built an email that we can send back to a potential customer. We know that it has all the right information. We know that it is grammatically accurate. And we also know that we were able to do it very, very quickly. And you can do the same thing. Text Expander is amazing for this. And because you're a Mac Geek Gab listener, you get 20% off your first year. So go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more. It's available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad. You're going to love it. And our thanks to Text Expander for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Linode at Linode. L-I-N-O-D.com slash M-G-G. That's where you're going to go to get $100 in free credit to start using, creating, playing with even your next server. We're geeks. We do lots of interesting things. We love doing interesting things. We need servers occasionally. It might be a server to do some development work on. It might be a server to run Plex on, uh, right? It might be a server that runs Minecraft. It might be a server that runs WordPress. What's cool is Linode not only lets you do all of these things, they make it easy for you to do all of these things with their cloud manager because all you got to do is go and select this from their marketplace, right? And then Linode's engines build your server for you. They install Plex, they install WordPress, they install, you know, a VPN server, whatever you choose from their menu there, it will build your server. It might ask you a few questions like, what do you want your login name to be? What do you want your password to be? Those sorts of things. And then boom, it's built. You don't have to know how the sausage is made on that at that level. You, you could, you certainly can get to the terminal and do what you want, but they make it super easy. 
In addition to cloud hosting, Linode recently added GPU hosting plans for machine learning and neural net use built with RTX 6000 GPUs. So if it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash MGG, L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash MGG. Click on the create free account button to get started and you'll get $100 in credit added to your account to use as you get started. Our thanks to Linode at linode.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Uh, I'm actually, you know what? Brian, take it away. Hi, guys. I got a quick question. I don't even know how to search for this on Google, but I have an M1 Mac Mini, and when I go to log in after it's been asleep for a while, this happens about every two weeks or so, I'll go to log into it, and I start to type in my password, and I type one or two letters, and four or five go across the screen. And then I type another letter and another three or four dots. And I can't log in, and I'm forced to restart the machine before the keyboard will work properly again. So maybe you guys have an idea of what I could look at. I'd appreciate it. Thanks for your help. Yeah, you bet. Um, Okay, so that's, like, obviously abnormal. Um. I you're on a Mac mini. So that tells me you're using an external keyboard. Um, I would look at the keyboard. If you have a different keyboard to use test with that, but that might not solve the problem. If it's a, if it's a Bluetooth keyboard, because it could be not a problem with your keyboard, not a problem with the Mac mini, but a problem with the radio waves near or around your computer. Because if you've got a USB hard drive near your computer, that will resonate at um, similar frequencies to the 2.4 gigahertz range that your USB 3 specifically uh, resonates in that 2.4 gigahertz range, which is where Bluetooth and also some Wi-Fi live. And it can cause interference exactly like this. Um, So I'm wondering if that's the issue. Your solution where you reboot and it works like it's hard to say without being there. We're not getting that like it's hard for our guts to to like truly grok your scenario. Uh, But my guess is that you've got a USB hard drive. Simply try moving it to the, the other side of the computer or something just so that it's away from the Bluetooth antenna a little bit, and maybe that'll do it. I don't know. What do you think, John? Um, I'm wondering, uh, here's a place to look. I don't know if there is anything here, but um, system preferences, keyboard, text, there's a replace feature there. Just make sure that's not, <laughs> there's nothing there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of things in my text replacement. I I'm pretty sure you, you like it's worth looking there for sure. But um, like, cause I use text replacement all the time. In fact, I'm shocked that mm. yours is empty. Like, I, like that, that's a, that's a great mm. little thing to use um, because it syncs with your phone and all that stuff. Uh, like I use that and text expander together to, to get some text replacements done. Um, like my phone numbers and email addresses, I actually, those I put in, um, in text replacement and then things like I just said about like, you know, the sponsor replies and things like that. Those I put in text expander because I can customize them a little bit better. But, um, 
But I'm pretty sure that these are disabled when you are typing in password fields. Like it's not doing this replacement, but it could be like it's you're, you're like fair. Go check this. But my guess is this is not the issue, especially in an Apple, you know, login field where you aren't even like mm-hmm. logged in yet. It's probably hasn't. Mm-hmm. It's probably not using these, but but sure. Yeah, fair. I actually had that same um, I had that same thought, but, but it's probably not that my guess is that it's, yeah, it's, it's some, it could just be a broken keyboard too, right? Like that's possible if the keyboard is just flaking out, but mm, probably not, <clears throat> probably not. Yeah. Interesting problem. Hopefully it's the USB thing and hopefully you can, you know, you might need to get a longer USB cable to just move that, that drive a little bit further away from your, um, you know, from your computer to that end, a lot of routers these days will use, uh, you know, will let you plug a hard drive in, uh, you know, for time machine backups or like lots of other things, right? Make sure you are aware if that hard drive is a USB three drive, a lot of routers will have a checkbox in their settings to slow that drive down to USB two speed so that it doesn't interfere with the 2.4 gigahertz radios that are right there in your router, you kind of need to prioritize which way you want to go with that. So, Oh, Paul Franz in the chat room at live.macgeekup.com suggests checking the battery on the Bluetooth keyboard that I could see causing interference. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm wondering. Hmm. I'm trying to think when I, when I got, uh, upgraded my parents' iMac. The keyboard that it came with, I think, is a wired keyboard, or is the wire just charging it? Mm. Oh, good question. Yeah, it, it 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 could it. I think it could be either. It depends on what you chose, or you know, what was chosen for you. If you were buying like a, a refurb model or something uh, in the box, because I obviously mm-hmm. you know Apple sells both or at least has at times. I'm pretty sure they still sell a wired keyboard, but they might not. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I yourself, don't think, I don't think there's a, yourself a wired keyboard. Right. Personally, I don't like Apple keyboards. <laughs> I have a Logitech. There you go. Yeah. I, I like the, um, here at the podcast rig, I use, um, the Apple keyboard that came with this iMac because it's silent. I can type without it really being captured by the microphone. I have to be careful not to like really mash on the keys, but it's the silent keyboard down in my office. I have one of the things that like, you know, if I even breathe at the key, it makes this like huge loud, like clacking sound. But, um, but yeah, yeah. For podcasting, uh, actually down in the office, I've, I've started keeping another keyboard around so that if I'm like recording with somebody else, I can, you know, I can be silent. Yeah. Yeah, remember the IBM PC keyboard? <laughs> yeah. And that made a racket. Exactly. Yeah, that, those are great. Those are, I like that. Uh, Kansas Dave in the chat room confirms Apple does not sell wired keyboards, but I don't think Apple okay. includes a keyboard by default with a Mac Mini. Like it's just the Mini in the box. In fact, I know that because the, the box mm. is, you know, square. There's no room for a keyboard in that box. So there's no keyboard, there's no mm-hmm. mouse. You can, of course, buy one at the same time you're buying a Mac Mini, but it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't automatically come with one. So, mm-hmm. all right. You want to take us to uh, William 
We got yes. two, two questions. William and Joe, very similar. Similar, not the same. Right. Um, so William has more of a follow-up. Um, so I wanted to follow up on a question that I sent in recently. The problem was my inability to access an external device on my Mac Mini. And I remember, I was like, what is it? Um, I neglected to say that the device is a Sony HAP-S1 music server. Interesting. Um, you had suggested I check on the security settings, which I did. I then remembered that I had already been changed, I think, because of Carbon Copy Cloner. What finally worked after a call to Sony was to downgrade to an earlier version of the Sony connection software. I was told that a Mac OS upgrade had broken the device's latest connection software. Yeah, thanks, Apple. <laughs> a lesson learned was twofold. One, contact the manufacturer's support, even if that may result in long waits and no solution to the problem. Secondly, always consider that a problem may be due to an OS upgrade. I now understand why some people stay on a version or two behind on OS upgrades. Yeah. Well, I haven't thought about that those those app players in a while. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess they're still a thing. Of course they're still a thing. Yeah. But yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the other lesson may be keep, don't throw your installers away (laughs) or maybe keep, keep a, a a version back of any software that you rely on for Um, hardware driver, like mm -hmm. driver software. I am religious about that. I always take the things and I throw them. I have a folder on my disk station, that I just, I mean, I probably have stuff out there that's way too old to be valuable anymore, but, um, but I know that I've always got the most recent, you know, and the one before it that worked. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's really the key, I think. So yeah. All right. Good stuff. Uh, All right. Joe? And, uh, kind of in the, the same uh, theme um, from Joe, uh, he asks, how do I go about installing an old, mac os on an external drive um i need to install 10.11 on an external partition or to run some old harmony remote software i have a four terabyte external drive with four partitions with one 500 gig partition dedicated to this 10.11 install the four terabyte disk is GUID, and all the partitions are journaled and extended uh, i'm doing this on a 2009 imac running 10.13.6 um I have the 10.11 package downloaded to both my internal SSD and also to a blank Harmony 10.11 partition. When I run the installer, it gives me only two options, the internal SSD and one of the four terabyte disk partitions, but not the blank one I want to use. I tried using the option key um, uh, and clicking about and have done numerous Google searches trying to find out how to do this, but as far, nothing has given me the option for the Harmony 10.11 partition. Uh, I spent... Uh, a couple hours on this already and have some more ideas, but this was supposed to be the easy part of what I'm ultimately trying to accomplish. So I was hoping you guys have a quick and easy solution for me. One thing I'm still considering, find a small 500 gig standalone two and a half inch drive and erase it specifically for the task. Not sure why this would be different than the partition. I agree. Um, I'm also cloning the 10.13.6 partition to a blank partition, then seeing if I can run the installer and have it downgrade the system, though I don't think this will work. Um, all right. Um, I don't know why it's not visible to the installer either. I've, I've never run into this. Um, I mean, you could remove and recreate that partition. Maybe that'll 
kicks unstuck something that's stuck um if you do have a spare drive i think that's that's probably the best solution um though actually i was thinking of another solution if you need to run an older os perhaps a virtual machine like VirtualBox, which is free last i checked or parallels of vmware which are not free could be another way to accomplish your task yeah yeah I, yeah i mean um, he didn't say what kind of Mac he is on, um, but either way, like that, the partition should show up, especially if it's good based. All the partitions. oh no, he did two thousand nine iMac. Oh, there it is on yeah. Oh, so okay, so that machine is fully capable of running ten dot eleven if memory serves. So yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. Interesting. I'm also wondering what Harmony software. Like, I don't want to. I do want to derail us a little bit here, but but not quite yet. Uh, this is a valid question, regardless of his reason for needing to do it. But I will say that I've run the older Harmony software under Big Sur on my M1 MacBook Air, and it runs fine. And actually, Lucas, my son and I were amazed that it worked, like talking to the hardware and all that. It was like this this. This software was not built to run on this operating system, nor was it built to run on this chip, like or this chip type. It was pretty impressive. Anyway, um, but yeah, I agree with you that this this there's something we're missing here. But reformatting that partition might be the trick uh, about that. Yeah, weird, weird. We're too mm-hmm. just is GUID based. Yeah, all right. Um, are we good with this one? I think so. I want to ask everybody out there, what is your favorite universal remote? Because uh, talking about the last question, it reminded me that all the Harmony remotes, Logitech has discontinued that line. I have been a Harmony remote fan and user since they first showed up at Macworld Expo when they were just Harmony. They hadn't been acquired by Logitech yet. And uh, they had the little blue remote that you could get. I think I still have that somewhere, which I probably don't need to have around. But uh, but we've been Harmony users and fans for well over a decade here at, at the Hamilton household. Uh, we've been using the Harmony one, I think, for like nine years. So like like that's long in the tooth, but it works great. Uh, so I'm just curious what universal remotes people use. I've thought about like, do I need a universal remote? And I really do like being able to control it. We're not just doing everything with the TV, right? We do have other boxes. And so being able to control everything with one remote really kind of is the key. I understand that the market for universal remotes has definitely gotten smaller with, you know, TVs being smarter and and for a lot of people, you know, that that might be the only thing you're using because you can run apps on your TV. So you don't even need an Apple TV box to watch Apple TV Plus, for example. But um, and with HDMI CEC and like the control back and forth, there are some things that can be done uh, with your TV remotes controlling external devices, which is great. Uh, but there's still to me is a market for. um for a universal remote, I, I am certainly a customer for it. Um, and I'm curious what people use because I think I'm going to need to get something new. So I'm curious. Let us know. Feedback at MacGeekGub.com. Did you say feedback at MacGeekGub.com? Again, I said it. Feedback at MacGeekGub.com. I'm not going to stop. 
I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wild man, John. All right. Uh, I've just resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to have four remotes. <laughs> right. You see what I mean? Like you are also a customer for a a mm-hmm. a, um, a universal remote. Yeah. I, I, I think it's I think the market maybe isn't as small as I, I might have let on. I don't know, man. Like, so hopefully somebody will guide us. And I've looked and it's like people are saying, yeah, just go get one of like the, you know, late model Harmony ones. They do say, and I will agree with this. Uh, don't bother with the Harmony remote that has the, the LCD screen on it because it burns batteries and you rarely really take advantage of, of the LCD screen. So, um, and I would agree with that. Like one of the non LCD models would probably be really good for us. So um, anyway, your thoughts are, are welcomed and encouraged. You want to take us to James, John? Uh, let's go to James. Um my company is truly a consulting firm. We sell our time. We don't sell hardware or software, although we will make recommendations and guide clients to the best places to purchase hardware and I'm software. Gonna, I'm going to stop you for one quick second. In the last episode, we, we talked about consultants and uh, we asked you to send us your thoughts on whether what you use to track your invoicing so that you can make money. And so that you can actually collect money, not just earn the money. And so this is, we've got a couple of replies to this and and James is one of them. So keep going, John. Thank you. Yeah. Though I think uh, what I find interesting about his comment, uh, I I think what he was implying though, we we also asked the question, do you warranty your work? And I think most consultants can't. I mean, it's impossible to guarantee that you'll be able to solve somebody's problem. Sure. Is that you're paying for time. Sure. And when I did consulting, it was the same thing. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to charge you this much an hour and, you know, I'll do the best I can to solve your problem, but I can't guarantee I will. So, uh, anyways, um, we were up against invoicing woes and look at many different options from spreadsheets, my favorite, uh, to Google Docs, the QuickBooks Online, to FreshBooks, and finally came on a SaaS software as a service um, that has doubled our revenue. Seriously, six figures doubled. Wow. Um, Harvest totally rocks. Uh, and we'll link to them. Uh, Harvest, Harvest makes it so easy to build it working the, the same exactly level of business, but so many things were hard to track, especially when you do quick remote sessions here and there. One tends to not open up the various other ways to bill, but Harvest is smart and it integrates with all sorts of other apps. For ours, it's a ticketing system. Oh. They, have an, they have an iOS app, a Mac app, a website, and Android. It is so easy to use and connect to PayPal and Stripe. QuickBooks Online it has robust APIs if you want to build your own stuff. You can send invoices by email for free and USPS for a small it sends non-payment reminders on a schedule you define and has three levels of urging the client to pay <laughs> the shame you must be feeling about this past two invoice just may make it into our third reminder <laughs> you're welcome for that james <laughs> i had to use um, that this week again and i laughed <laughs> oh really Oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I use that for me. I don't, I don't think I've ever gotten somebody actually I did. I got one person to pay using the shame. You must be feeling line, but, but that is mm-hmm. James, you might not want to bake that into your third automated reminder mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. might get more pleasure out of it. If you can actually send that mm-hmm. to the client. So just, just a, a, a piece of advice because we can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
And uh, to wrap it up, you can also send up recurring invoices for clients that may be on a MSP managed service plan, managed service plan, I guess, like being on retainer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Or some other fixed rate. Uh, We do it for a VoIP service that we sell. So, okay. That's a a good endorsement. Wow. That is, that's a a heck of an endorsement. I'd never, I'd never heard of harvest before. So that's great to know. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, James. Good stuff. Thanks, John. All right. And then we have another one, right? And then Bruce, uh, you asked about what consultants use for invoicing after trying a number of me-centered that what that says? Yeah, me-centered solutions. I finally switched over to Wave, uh, and we'll link to them as well. While they do have a free model, the pay-per-use works great for me. They take a percentage for credit card invoicing, but anything else, PayMail, Venmo, Zelle, check, or cash, is no charge. I don't use most of the features, but for quick, painless invoicing, which I can do with the client software before I leave, including built-in reminders, works great for me. Awesome. So... Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, I had, I'm I'm glad to have to hear from somebody that's using Wave. I I came across it when we were you know prepping last week's show, but I had never heard of them before. And it you know it like seems too good to be true because they have they do have a free tier, um, and for a lot of people the free tier is you know what you need or or like like with what Bruce is saying the pay per use tier where you're um you know you're paying for the the transaction fee which their transaction fees are pretty like they're they are as good as what you would likely get on your own uh if you were to go and get a merchant account uh they are probably getting a much better rate because of the volume that they're doing and of course they're making a little bit of money on that which fine you know that's like that's that's the best kind of thing um but yeah really interesting um, so I'm glad to hear that it, it works as well as they make it seem like it works. So that's cool. Bruce. Thanks, man. Anything more on this one, John? No, we're good. Okay. Uh, I think it's time to jump and do some cool stuff found. Uh, you want to share Arvidas or you want me to John? Uh, go for it. Okay. Arvidas shares, uh, that the folks who make amazing make a lot of cool free tools, um, and you can see them all at amazing.com slash downloads. And, uh, what's interesting is I had included in my list of cool stuff found this week, one of these tools because hot from DigiDNA is right on this list. DigiDNA, of course, being the company that makes amazing. So, uh, amazing.com is DigiDNA, but, uh, hot is a tool that we talked about uh, probably six months ago that, would tell you when your Intel Mac was going to be doing like, like heat based throttling of your CPU speeds and things like that. Essentially they built it so that you could use it on your Intel Mac and then decide, Ooh, I want an M one Mac, right? Well now they've added M one Mac support to hot so that you can see if, and potentially when, uh, the, um, the, you know, your, your M one Mac is doing any CPU throttling. Uh, they said that when they're compiling iMazing, uh, it does not do any CPU throttling. So I don't know that they have actually seen it, you know, do it, but you can track it. And so they they have built a tool that will show that to you. So thanks, Arvidas. And actually, thanks to the team at, at DigiDNA for um, for for, you know, M1ifying that. That's pretty good. It's fun. 
it's interesting. You know, it's nice to, uh, to see that someday we will get to a point with this, John, where M1 Max are hitting their speed limits. But um, yeah, I'm curious to see what Apple does next when the, you know, M1X or the M2 or whatever the next chip is comes out. I'm, I'm eager to see what the pro version of that thing is like. Would you, uh, are you tempted by what, what the future holds in terms of that, John? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of happy with what I got now. Yeah. <laughs> I will say not having fans kick in is, mm-hmm. is life changing. It really is amazing. I mean, my, you know, my M1 air doesn't even have fans, but like even the mini in the office, I never hear the fans rev up. Whereas that was a routine occurrence on like zoom calls and things like that. Um, it makes a big difference. Yeah, the 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 MacBook Pro, yes, the the fans come on more often than I'd like. Yeah. <laughs> Do you use Turbo Boost switcher on your uh on your MacBook Pro? Sometimes. Yeah, does that I mean that that probably keeps the fans from coming oh, on. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And probably extends your battery too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I mean, on this computer here, I started using it because you know we we were when we were using Mimo Live and I was doing all the video processing from here, the fans would like be so loud you'd hear them you know through my mic, mm-hmm. and so uh, but now I just I leave it on all the time like it's always or mm-hmm. off I should say like the the my CPU never goes into Turbo Boost mode and mm-hmm. I like never notice an issue it's just not a problem it it really it, yeah. Yeah, it's I'm like, I think you said it right when we were talking about this the last time that, you know, Turbo Boost was not really ever a good idea for consumer based machines. It was right. You had some there was some insight you had that it was good for servers, maybe or something. Am I misremembering that? Hmm. I don't know. You had you had something that made me feel good about just leaving it on all the time or leaving it disabled all the time, I should say. Uh. In this same vein of websites you can visit with lots of uh, cool stuff found all in one place, Mark sends in a note about uh, a a link, rather, to a plainenglish.io page listing five applications you need as a software engineer. But Mark points out that really you don't even need to be a software engineer to, to, to like these. The five apps are Moom which lets you really easily tile your windows in meaningful ways. Uh, Expressions, which helps like uh, evaluate regular expressions. So if you're like me and you're petrified and, and, and confused by, by grep and regular expressions, that apps there, Gifox, G I F O X. And he says, uh, this next application doesn't have me code. It helps me improve how I can communicate with my colleagues. Um, it takes it allows you to record parts of your screen or whole windows and save it as an animated gif which is pretty cool pathfinder of course a finder replacement that we've talked about on the show many times and iterm2 which is a terminal replacement that does lots more than the terminal does um so there you go uh including split plane split plane nope split plea soup nope uh split pane view there you go okay uh and hey if there's ever an opportunity for me to quote from strange brew in an episode, like I just was able to do with split please soup, I will take it. Um, how are we doing on time? I got more cool stuff found. Hey, uh, T-Mobile released their test drive recently, which is an app you download onto your phone. If you have an eSIM, go get this app because what you can do with it, or if you have a spare iPhone like me, 
and you're testing, uh, you know, like iOS 15, but you don't have an extra SIM card to put in. T-Mobile's test drive will give you 30 gigs or 30 days of service completely free. You don't enter a credit card, nothing. You just sign up. In fact, you don't even put your, I don't even think you put, maybe you put an email address in. Um, and that's it. Like you get 30 and you can do this. They say currently what they say is you can do this once every six months. This is tied to your Apple ID because I put it on my uh, spare iPhone, right? That, that I am testing with iOS 15, got my 30 gigs, 30 day clock started running. I'm happy. And then I put the app on my daily driver iPhone, my 12 mini. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you've got it. You're good to go. You're, you know, you're already doing it. And I'm like, oh, mm. Gotcha. Okay. So it is not per device. It is not per email address. It is per, I mean, it is per email address, but it is clearly tied to the Apple ID that is running the app or downloaded the app um, onto the device. So my advice is uh, download this, put it on your phone and don't start it yet. Wait until, you know, you're in one of those months where you need extra data and uh, and then kick it on because what's cool is it it leverages the eSIM so you can have run it in parallel along with your um you know your your existing provider and what's cool about the iPhone is you can tell your phone what to use with your primary SIM and what to use with your secondary SIM and so you can say look use my primary SIM for phone calls because it will give you a second phone number obviously you're getting second service. But you don't have to give that number out anywhere. You can tell it not to associate it with iMessage or any of those things. But you can go into the cellular data section and say, use this T-Mobile thing for my data. And it switches over just for your data. So your phone basically runs the same, except you're using data from a different carrier. And um, handy little thing, man. So, um, yeah, cool to be able to, you know, use the eSIM. And nice to have that as a, you know, safety net. So I'm also thinking... I've got a trip to Mexico planned next winter in February, John, mm-hmm. and I'm on Mint Mobile. And one of the things that Mint Mobile doesn't offer as part of the plan is international. Now, you know, we don't go internationally every month or, you know, maybe it's maybe once a year. So we knew that going in and we looked at what the cost would be. You can, of course, add international options, you know, temporarily with Mint Mobile and uh, and that that's great. Right. And we'd have to pay extra for it, but the savings that we have the rest of the year made it perfectly like, like more than makes sense. But I'm thinking that my six months will have reset by February and maybe I just use T-Mobile for my data while I'm down in Mexico hmm. and I don't have to worry about it because 30 gigs would be more than enough. So I'll have to see if that works out. Otherwise I'll just pay mint like I was planning on it. And uh, mint's not a sponsor anymore, but just like, um, with uh, with whatever we were talking about earlier in the episode, maybe ExpressVPN, the mintmobile.com slash MGG thing still gets you the deal. So you can use that too. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, One thing I like, so it was cool how it enhances the, the UI. So I, I activated this. So I, so I got the plan. Sure. Um, but for example, you will now see in the top of the screen, you'll see two um, uh, signal strength meters now because you are connected to two different um, two different providers. If you pull down on the screen, when I pull down now, it 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 
also on the um, uh, control center, um, it'll show, uh, oh, T-Mobile is your secondary and VZW Wi-Fi is your primary, and it'll show that too. So that was neat. And lastly, if if you go to, um, so you talked about how they give you a, a phone number, and I was like, yeah. wow, I want to try that. Um, if you go to the phone and then click on the keypad, now on the top of the screen, it says primary. If you want to dial from your primary number, and if you tap on it, it's like, oh, or you can dial from your secondary. So just for fun, I set it to the secondary and then called my landline, and then it was like, oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah. Cool. I wonder what would happen if you set it to the secondary and called your primary. Would you be crossing the streams at that point? Ooh. Like, right? <laughs> mm, I'm not. I'm not going to do it now. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not right now. That's right. Yeah. It might. It might cause a, a you know, a, a, a cascading failure of sorts. But yeah, good to use for um. You know, when you've used up all your data, like I said, it you know nice nice safety net to have. It took all of about three minutes maybe to set up. So it was a quick little thing. And if you've already got the app on your phone, you can just do it whenever you need to. So the only thing is the 5G data speeds aren't that great where you are for me. Yeah, you have crappy 5G data speeds on on both like Verizon yes. and T-Mobile where you are. Yeah, is that I'll get when I did speed tests, yeah. um, I would get on the order of like tens of megabits, megabytes per second or megabits. No, megabits. Yeah. Yeah, I get much better. Uh, uh, that's why I, I set my phone to uh, connect to uh, Wi-Fi because um, Optimum offers a sure. free Wi-Fi if you're a member. And the speeds I get with that are like on the order of 100. Well, usually. it depends on the connection to mm -hmm. the Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. Um, yeah, it, it um, I mean, 5G, what I've found with 5G is certainly in some areas I get you know, hundreds of megabits per second over, over 5g. And that's not with millimeter wave. Like I'm just talking regular 5g, but, mm -hmm. um, but not all areas like here at the house, you know, I mean it, it like it, I'm not right near a 5g antenna. So I get, you know, less. In fact, I don't get 5g at the house on the other side of the driveway. I get 5g here in the office. So th mm -hmm. that tells me that, yeah, like we're, we're right at the edge. But um, but really what 5G, I, the problem I think it solves more than speed is uh, density, right? So you can have a lot more people connected to a 5G tower and still mm -hmm. get good speeds, good latency, which or you know, good connection and good latency, which will give you effectively faster speeds. If you've ever been in like a sports stadium or something with, you know, everybody with their phones, you've got tens of thousands of people with their phones. On LTE, that can, you know, you can see five bars. I can be at TD Garden mm -hmm. and see five bars of LTE and can't get any data out because it, the, the system is just clogged. Well, mm -hmm. 5G helps solve that problem. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, because yeah, T-Mobile's 5G here, like, I mean, when mm -hmm. like in general, like if I go downtown here, it's killer because that's what we have for Mint. Mint is just a T-Mobile MVNO. So I think that's the right term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of disappointed because I, I remember going to uh, numerous shows, trade shows where they were like, oh, 5G is going to change the world and you'll be able to do VR. And, you know, well, the world is not jump. John. The world is not John centric. <laughs> the world doesn't live at John's house. Right. Right. I mean, if you go, I'm sure if you go downtown, 
certainly to like Norwalk or Stanford or something, you know, over to Bridgeport or whatever, like you mm-hmm. would, you would get like, like the five G speeds that, that you were talking about. I mm-hmm. get on our way to the lake. Um, I remember, and this was, so it was on our way to the lake, but we weren't quite at the lake. I think it was just like Rochester or Summersworth, New Hampshire. Uh, Lisa was driving and I, it was just after 5G, you know, we'd gotten our 5G phones and I pulled it out and tr- tested a speed test and it was like 130 megabits a second or whatever. I was like, nice. oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, the speeds are there, just not at your house, which is fine. They're not really built to right. be there on your phone at your house. I would wonder what 5G speeds would be like on a fixed device, like a 5G to the home device. Uh, mm-hmm. If that's available where you are, you should check with Verizon and see if that's mm-hmm. available where you are. Yeah. Fun stuff, folks. Thank you. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. We got lots more cool stuff found, so we'll just have to do this show again next week. What do you say, John? Mm, okay. Okay. You convinced me. <laughs> Let me twist your arm. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. Thanks for sending in all this great stuff, all your questions, all your tips, your cool stuff found, all of that good stuff. It's um, uh, We love being able to do this. We love being able to. I love learning. Like you can tell how excited I am by all the things that we get to learn. I try to be the one that learns the most every week. And uh, I feel like maybe this week I succeeded. I don't know. You'll have to let us know. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. We'd love to hear from you. It's good. Uh, find us on Twitter, too, at MacGeekUp. Let us know how we're doing. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We would love to see you there. We're doing a lot of stuff, putting a lot of content out. As I mentioned, Sadie's doing a lot of that stuff for us. Um, our video on uh, she's like slipped and snipped out the the section we did this week, last week on uh, DSM seven from Synology, and that's been getting all kinds of like views and comments, and it's really it's, it's great. So go subscribe. I think it's uh, youtubecom slash podcast but you can find the link in the show notes at macgeekab.com. Do you have anything else to share with them, Mister Braun? Mm, I'm staying away from DSM seven. <clears throat> I. Yeah. Can't touch this. Or yeah. I, won't, I won't touch this for yeah. now. I, I, yeah. If you're running any third-party packages, uh, I would I would breathe a little bit. No, that's mm-hmm. not bad advice, man. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I finally got it there, but mm. like I mentioned, I couldn't get photos to run and uh, I opened a support ticket. Synology support has gotten so much better. Like hmm. they like replied to me several times a day. Whereas normally, like in the past, I would expect a week to go by before I heard from them. Um, they're a little bit snarky at times because I, they're not. I mean, I'm dealing with like the, you know, the support team and the, I guess the support team should be better at customer service. But anyway, they, they're like they reply. They are helpful in the advice they provide. They're a little rude, uh, but that's OK. Um, it's not OK, but, you know, it. it I was able to be productive, but they found like a damaged Postgres SQL database. That was the reason that my photos wouldn't index. Hmm. Yeah. But, and then, and then they were like, it's because your drive is corrupt. I'm like, cool. How do I run a file system check to see if my drive is corrupt? They're like, well, you really can't. I'm like, how did you find out my drive is corrupt? They're like, well, the Postgres SQL database was damaged. I'm like, so a damaged database tells you that my drive is corrupt. Like, ah, or my volume is corrupt. Not my drive. I'm like, that seems like a stretch. You might be right, but like, mm-hmm. it doesn't, that feels like a leap to me. And they're like, yeah, you should wipe your volume and, and, uh, and reinstall everything. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Like, I'll wait until maybe there's a second symptom 
of this that, that mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't know. I think the upgrade from DSM-6 to 7 screwed up the PostgreSQL database, but that's just me. That's just my opinion. <sighs> anyway. All right. Let's get out of here, John. Thanks, everybody, mm-hmm. for listening. Thanks for uh, checking out our sponsors. Of course, linode.com slash mgg. LinkedIn.com slash MGG, TextExpander.com slash podcast. Threw your curveball on that one. Check out MacGeekUp.com slash sponsors. You can learn about all our sponsors, including all those old deals that, that I mentioned are still alive. I told you, we track those for a reason. That's for you. Woo! <laughs> all right, John. We got to shut me up. Do you have any advice for them? <laughs> Always. Um, but in this case, all I'm going to offer is don't get caught.